You're listening to World Building for Masochists. And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves. Well, see, the planets were in alignment, so... I'm Rowena Miller. I'm Alexandra Rowland. I'm Marshall Ryan Maresca. And this is Episode 7, Just Add Magic and Shake. everyone how is everyone today we're doing pretty well we're, we're doing pretty well we, we we've we've all had some busy weeks I believe. yes indeed we are returning from uh, a couple weeks of not recording because i was in ireland for Worldcon, and you guys were doing cool things also one presumes sorry i didn't mean that to come out as snarky as it ended up i like started that sentence and i was like they were not as cool that's for sure i was like i don't know how i'm ending this sentence and then it came out like way snarkier than i intended it i apologize we were both doing different levels of parent things and those took up a lot of time we were hey parent things are really cool parent things are cool i got to drive across country with my son and then drive back without him so so that was good. Aww. Oh, you ditched your Aww. child. Very good. I ditched my child. In <laughs> and this this was this was on purpose. It was, it was not on like purpose. at a gas station yeah. in Nebraska no, was, or something. It was at his dorm okay. in Manhattan, and so he's living the big life now. Wonderful. Very cool. Excellent. Uh, so today we are putting the fantasy in fantasy world building. I think at last, uh, because we're going to be talking about building magic systems and. I think we're going to be like discussing a little bit of our fantasy world, which one day we should get around to naming, not today, because uh, names no. are a whole different <laughs> kettle of fish. Do you guys have somewhere you want to start? Well, I feel like there's one of those questions that has probably been asked by many a nerd before us, and that is, is magic necessary in a second world Absolutely fantasy? Absolutely not, and here's why. Because K.J. Parker exists in the world, and K.J. Parker does beautiful fantasy books uh, with zero magic, as far as I can remember. Although, I will give you a warning, he is not great with women. Uh, So just bear that in mind. Also, all of his characters are assholes. So if either of those things bother you, don't read his books. But I really like them anyway. Uh, I'm inclined to agree. I remember when I was first giving some one of the one of the Meridane books to uh to beta readers when I was very early in the stages and this book had even though there's magic in the world this book had no magic and people were really confused of like does that make this fantasy or not if there's no magic and I was like but yes of course of course of course and my books uh, we're all going to be doing the well my books <laughs> um. we try so hard not to do that but you know when I we're feel t- like we don't try that hard at all, but it's fine because at least we like okay, laugh I at while we're hard doing it. <laughs> Even when it's like super relevant, I'm like, I love it when we when books do this, and I'm like, ooh, ooh, I'll shut up. No. <laughs> <laughs> so with my books, I have a fairly low instance of magic, like no more than ten percent of a population uh, has magic. But only in places where there is magic, because not everywhere in the world has magic. But I think we'll probably get into, like, talking about, like, methods and, and things a little bit later on. Uh, Rowena, do you want to chip in and talk talk about, well, in my book? <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll put a pin in my book for a while um, and kind of come back to that. I, I agree with both of you that magic is not necessary for fantasy. I also think it's kind of interesting to think about, well, what do we even mean like by magic because just because something is like non-earthy doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's like magic magic so i'm i'm in the middle of naomi novik's temporary series right now mm, and there yes. are dragons that's like the big sell and it's kind of napoleonic era with dragons but the dragons aren't really magic per se like i wouldn't define them that way they're an animal that exists in the world they're intelligent mm-hmm. sentient they have a lot of cool abilities, but they're all kind of described as just part of this natural world that exists. So it's kind of like, it's like if someone in in a world not Earth didn't have cats and then wrote a story about cats, and it's like, what is this magical being called cats? And 
Yeah. I mean, cats are pretty awesome, but... Do you guys think that lately in our genre, in our industry, there has been a tendency um, for fantasy books to be lower magic? I think, for one, you're just in general seeing more people writing books that question what fantasy is and do more mm-hmm. of the choosing versus presuming uh, against the, the grain of what was at one point traditional fantasy. So you'll see lower fantasy books like, uh, say, Seth Dickinson's Trade of Brew Cormorant, which I've read the first one and there's no magic in that whatsoever. I don't know if there's any in the second book or not, but it seems to be a no magic world from what from what I've seen. Yeah. I mean, and again, that is pure fantasy, but it is definitely a grounded realistic fantasy with no magic in it but that doesn't make it not fantasy and i think we're seeing that more and more nowadays yeah and actually like when you look at the actual characters in lord of the rings like gandalf technically has magic but you never see him do any magic right so would we classify lord of the rings as a low magic setting i think in the sense that magic isn't small there because the magic that does exist is massive. Yeah. But it is extraordinarily rare that those who have it are few and far between. Yeah. Right. Because you had the ring, which yeah. is a magical object, which is so central to the story. Like, you couldn't really pull magic from Lord of the Rings and have Lord of the Rings be the same story. That's true. But I think that it raises a really good question about magic can be central to a story or can be kind of like an outlier to the story. Do you think that that's true of a fantasy world? Can magic be no big deal in the world that it exists in? I think the key thing when you're defining how magic is in your world and how it works is there's two different spectrums you need to look at. The first being how powerful magic can be and the other is how common it can be. Because those can be two very different things Mm -hmm. altogether. You can have... Magic be minimal, but everybody has it. You can have magic be huge, but almost nobody has it. Or it can be huge and everyone has it. Or anywhere in between on those two axes. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And also, like, it's really cool to set up a magic system which, at first glance, seems as low impact as possible. And then kind of interrogate the ways in which it actually isn't low impact because it might change everything. In the, in my book, (laughs) uh, in the manuscript that I just finished, I, from now on, I demand that whenever we start talking about our own books, you have to preface it with saying, in my books, in a funny voice. (laughs) Um, So in the manuscript I just finished writing, um, I have a magic system, which is just that people who live in this country, about 10% of them, to varying degrees of strength and proficiency, when they touch a metal, they know what metal it is. That's it. And at first glance, it's like, well, that's pretty much useless, except at second glance, it's really not, because that can change their entire history of metalwork. It can change how swiftly they develop steel technology. Uh, it can help them find counterfeited coins, all sorts of stuff. So me trying to uh, invent a low magic system or low impact <laughs> magic system totally failed. Well, and I think that that's a good point, though, right? Because like a lot of the other things that we talk about with world building, you change one thing and there's a ripple effect and it just kind of like yeah. ripples out and touches everything else. And I think that magic is one of those things that absolutely can ripple out and touch everything else. Falling into a trope of there's a sorcerer in the tower, kind of like casting spells. Yes, but but what does that mean for so many other parts of a magical world? I guess one thing that I kind of think about is how do you have reliable, powerful magic in a world and like not have it be a major factor in cultural and political dynamics? How do you have minor magic in a world and not have it be like a factor in how people just kind of live their lives you know even the potato farmers like it's gonna have some impact on how people are are just living day to day why are your mages not just ruling the government yes exactly like what is the reasoning behind (laughs) that what is the cultural impact on having magic are mages adored are they specifically kept Mm -hmm. out of government are they you know strung up and hung whenever anybody finds them because they're terrifying And I really love um, Melissa Caruso's Tethered Mage series for that. And I think um, hearing her talk about or, you know, write about her inspiration, a lot of her inspiration for the series came from that idea of like, if you actually have people with magical ability, that is a resource that governments are going to want to control. And so her whole story is built around the idea that if someone is born with magical abilities, 
they basically get requisitioned by the government and tethered to a guardian and they have to serve the empire. So it's kind of like, you know, there's this question of, well, you know, how do you actually deal with that as human people if, if, if everyone has magic or if only some people have magic it changes the game yes um i don't think that there is any way to completely write it off right like there's no way to build a magic system and not have it impacted anything you do is going to have some impact so the first step is just to like accept that <laughs> fact in your life but i think that most of our listeners probably have already accepted that because they're listening to a fucking podcast called world building for massacres <laughs> So that's this fun. is and this is episode seven. If they haven't figured out that this right. is where we go with this sort of thing, then, right. then I'm not sure what's going on. We should just um, warn you to drop out now if you're not cool with that. <laughs> Hello, new listeners. Save welcome, right welcome to our journeys. So I just did a, an AMA on Reddit, and somebody asked me about like what order I do things in in terms of like how I structure things together, and they had world building and magic systems as separate items mm. which i found mm. fascinating because i'm like those are so like fundamentally woven into each other i don't even know how to separate them we're taking to now to talk about magic but i i honestly think it is a thing that is so just sort of woven into the very fundamental nature of the universe you're building it's i mean it's like gravity it's you know yeah it's a thing that you've got to know what those what those sorts of impacts are as you're starting out i don't know how you could do a world build that's essentially this is medieval saudi arabia except i've sprinkled magic in and have it be everything else is the same but there's magic because how does that work because magic is going to fundamentally change every other aspect of culture and the world so if we're <laughs> thinking about magic um what kinds of magical systems can we play with like what kinds of magic can worlds do really they can do all sorts of you can do all sorts of different forms of magic you're not seeing too many books that will have multiple forms of magic or magic like things um i have to do it in my book <laughs> in my book also <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. Uh, in we my book, I actually <laughs> have very many different things that I put under sort of the bigger umbrella of mysticism that you can create, you know, effects or or power or such that is extra normal or outside of human basic ability. And only one small portion of that is quote unquote magic. Uh, the others have different names and I get... I have characters who are very scientific about magic and mysticism, so they talk about it in a very, very analytical, scientific way, and, and they love to name things. Because when you have academic-y, science-y characters, they're going to they're gonna get academic and wonky about what they're doing with yep. magic and how it works and how it affects the world. And I, yep. think, I think that's a thing that I don't see as much of. I mean, I've seen it some, but I... I'm amazed how people will write worlds where magic is somehow utterly divorced from science and technology in the sense that people are just like, no, we're just going to keep it arcane because we don't know how it works and we're going to pretend <laughs> like that's somehow better as opposed to you know, applying scientific method to it. Yes, yes, I yeah. completely agree. And also a thing that kind of bothers me as well is that in a lot of these fantasy settings the magic will replace religion like they just Ooh, yeah. won't have religion because they have magic instead instead of tying those things in and i think that that is really interesting and i don't think that is how the phenomena would play out in real life because religion is there to and we're gonna have to have a whole other episode on this but like religion is there to answer some fundamental question that you have about the universe around you right and if magic is there it's just there and it's going to be uh, commonplace and you're not going to like question it too much. Like we don't wonder why gravity though, like why um, it's just a thing that happens around us and we don't really think about it too much. Well, and that also leads back to what we were talking about with cultural impact of does magic mm -hmm. have a strong cultural factor in which the people who practice it day to day, one thing 
I think J.K. Rowling, I, I'm not crazy about a lot of her world-building choices in terms of the whole world, because she is just sort of a hide magic underneath the normal world world build, which yeah. tends to have a lot of problems. But I liked how, in the magical world, magic was just so, so commonplace that it replaced every bit of, like, manual labor you can imagine, just because, mm-hmm. why wouldn't it? Because magic is is common as breathing for them yes for sure um i think maybe it might be useful to our listeners if we stop and define some terms um are you guys familiar with the like soft magic versus hard magic not specifically why don't you (laughs) share it with us alex (laughs) so um soft magic versus hard magic is a, a set of terminology that was i think introduced on the writing excuses podcast um so soft magic is the sort of magic that Gandalf does. It's very numinous. Uh, it just sort of happens. Uh, this is also the sort of magic that Crowley and Aziraphale use in Good Omens. Like, they just sort of will things into existence, and it happens. There's no rules to it. There's no limitations. It's just sort of magic. Uh, whereas hard magic has rules and restrictions and limitations. Uh, hard magic is the sort of magic system that Brandon Sanderson uh, leans on very heavily in his own work. Um, for example, have you guys read the Mistborn series? I've not. It's <laughs> on my massive to be read list, but I am at least familiar with the fact that he has a very complicated and rule based magic system that people rave about. Yes. So, for exa- in Mistborn, for example, um, a certain subset of the population, I think no bigger than. Certainly no bigger than 10%, much less than 10%, actually. It might be like 1% of the population has the ability to use this magic, except they need fuel for it. Uh, So they swallow shavings of metal, and then they quote-unquote burn the metal. Uh, And having that metal inside them powers the magic that they can do. There are some magic users which can only use one kind of metal, and there are some, the Mistborns, which can use all eight types of metal. Uh, and they're like super powerful, so you can like combine. Each metal has like one effect, and I don't remember what they are, but it's something like iron lets you pull a metal towards you, steel lets you push a metal away from you, that kind of thing. So if you can combine them in interesting ways, uh, then you can like do flips through the air and uh, travel at great speeds by just like flinging yourself uh, from the the iron railings on houses to uh, a horseshoe that you threw down in the middle of the the street and so forth. It's really nifty. Both of these are really cool. I feel like of the high magic systems that I am seeing lately in the fantasy genre, people are tending towards hard magic lately rather than soft magic, but they're both like valid and cool and you can play with them in interesting ways. I wonder if... You see a lot more people leaning towards hard magic now because, like, if you do any sort of workshop or writing group or anything like that nowadays, and you're writing fantasy, you will usually encounter a teacher or somebody else in the group who will push hard, like, okay, what are the rules of magic? You need to, mm. you need to define that. And I think, therefore, we've had a generation of fantasy writers who've sort of had that drilled at them for better or for worse, Mm -hmm. that whatever their magic system is, they need to know the rules and define it well. So you are seeing more people writing books where their magic is strongly defined instead of a loosey-goosey, I wave my hand and it works. Well, and I I think that that's, you know, a good question too of craft of like, are you going to, I mean, I kind of, as a writer, I always want to know what the rules of magic are in my world. That doesn't mean that the reader has to know what they are or that they're explicitly Mm -hmm. defined in the books. Or that the character needs to know. Or that the character needs to know. You know, I I think that because you can kind of get into some difficult ground in terms of if there are no rules for your magic, then anything, literally anything can happen. And you can kind of write some weird plot moments where it's like, well, then why didn't they just get out of that? Because because magic hand wave. So I think that even in magical systems that read as though there are no rules, I think often there are rules that the author is setting for themselves ahead of time or has kind of evolved naturally just to kind of keep themselves in alignment with with writing um 
a sensible plot. Yes, I would agree. And also I think that like when teachers are asking this question in workshops, I think that they might mean something different by rules than what the student hears. That's true. Because like even soft magic has quote unquote rules. It's not a rule-based magic system, but we understand the ways that it works. And if there are, it's like, does your magic system have limitations? This is an opportunity to choose versus presume. That's really what the question is about. It's not about like your magic system must be a hard magic system. It must have rules and limitations. It's just, have you thought about how this works? Are you choosing? And I think too, there's, you know, everything has limitations. Mm Mm-hmm. And even if you say, well, my magic system can do anything, who can do it? You've already made a choice there. If you say, well, it's people. Okay, so you're telling me that the crows in your world aren't magic and they can't do magic stuff? You know, so there's kind of this, like, you you set limits even without realizing that you're setting those limits. Yep. And I think that, you know, you can kind of get into the questions of limits like any natural resource, you know, my personal energy as a human at some point gives out. Does Mm -hmm. that affect how your magical system works? You mentioned like the Mistborn series uses a form of fuel in terms of metal. If there's anything, you know, kind of alchemical or potion based, are there really rare items that are going to form a limit within um, the system? Um, And just in terms of limitation of practitioners, I think we often talk about like practitioner limitation in terms of like the Harry Potter send them to school so they can learn lots of stuff but I think there can also be natural limitations or kind of like magical limitations of you know that if you try to do that thing you kill yourself or you can try to do that thing but that offsets all kinds of other things so I think we often talk about personal limitations as always overcomable and I think that that's a choose versus presume that you can kind of like no actually there's hard and fast like you hit a point that's that's as good as you're gonna get and also the great thing about this is that limitate so a absolutely limitless magic system isn't actually very interesting because then your characters don't have any conflict and conflict is what makes a story interesting right um so having limitations even if it's something as simple as eventually you run out of energy is an opportunity to create plot tension because you get to push your characters to that limit. It's like a Chekhov's gun, right? If you set up a limitation on your magic, even as simple as you run out of energy eventually, then you get to like play with that later and you get to like see what happens when that limit is reached. So speaking of limitations, uh, what are like stepping away from like the hard magic versus soft magic and getting more into types of magic? Uh, do you guys have any like favorite types of magic or anything that we can uh, brainstorm about? Well, I definitely, and this is you know leaning towards the more hard magic sort of thing, but I definitely like to find mm. a big idea of how magic works and then use that as as the central spike that everything else radiates out of. I have something that I'm still just fiddling with on a world building level and haven't done any proper writing with of using rather than just like certain metals using the full periodic table of the elements as the basis of magic. And so all of the magic choices then come from that. Every single element has some certain ability and then mages are people who can then use the different things of that and combine them in Mm. interesting ways. But there's definitely a lot of a lot of weird choices. And some of them are have basis in either history or fiction or folklore, and some of them you can just make out of whole cloth. Um, but we certainly have like a lot of different terms for different kinds of magic that people you know gravitate towards. Like necromancy mm-hmm. is right. a very specific thing that a lot of people like to use, and the rules of how or the methodology in which magic works can then be affected by what kind of magic you're choosing to do. Because, say, something like necromancy, oftentimes people writing that, A, you need the dead bodies, (laughs) because necromancy. (laughs) But also, (laughs) that tends to lean towards a a more arcane ritual specific sort of magic where you need you know symbols and chants and certain items i i was about to do a whole in my books ramble that y'all don't know <laughs> i've already done it like three times each in this episode i've done it like three times and i could i could keep doing it over and over again because i have a lot i not only in my book um do i have 
is magic fueling a lot of, I have a lot of different kinds of magic systems and the way in which they have different limitations and butt up against each other and interact is a key underlying thing going on in all of them. So I think it's really interesting um, that a lot of magical systems um, are really focused on affecting physical reality. So you have, you know, like healing mages or you have um, magicians who can control the weather or can control an element like fire or water um, or can cause physical harm. And I think that that's, those can be really a lot of fun to play with. I think it's interesting for me that um, some of the earliest forms of like fantasy writing, like Edmund Spencer, um, a lot of his magic in like the fairy queen was all about illusion. Like the magicians create something to make people believe something else. Mm. And it, and so it's like a lot of it is still physical. Like he makes something that's almost like an automaton kind of thing that's to trick the main character in one certain part. But the whole point is to create illusion to kind of make like manipulate people into doing what you want them to do. So I think it's kind of interesting to think about magic as a play on perception or emotional reality as well as just physical reality. Um, and I in my books um <laughs> you did it i did it but um the whole magical system is based on the idea that there's like good fortune and bad fortune and some people can like kind of control those in one way or another um but part of that is is as like the the main characters kind of learn as they get into other parts of the world and it's controlled in different ways is a perception thing so you have someone casting you know, like a, a spell over you, it doesn't change the physical reality, but it changes people's perceptions of, of what they're hearing or what they're experiencing in a positive or a negative way, which makes them act differently. Um, so you can kind of manipulate people. Oh, very interesting. Uh, one of the coolest magic systems that I have encountered lately was uh, in R.B. Lemberg's Birdverse series, uh, because she has these like mind healers uh, who are sort of affecting the physical reality of like the the uh, mental state of someone, but it's kind of like halfway between uh, physical and emotional, right? Kind of in the way that like therapists do with drugs, um, <laughs> but also with talking to you. Uh, so that's that's super fascinating. I also think that it is useful to discuss kind of the source of magic. Uh, like, is it an external source? Is it something like from the world that you are like picking up and using like a resource and then shaping and then wielding? Or is it something that uh, comes from inside you? You could have like a religious kind of like source that I mean, you can have mm -hmm. a you can write a book in which gods are real. And that's where magic comes from. Like, I guess I'm thinking, um, Oh, gosh, like Tamara Pierce's Wild Magic series way back in the day yeah. when I was a teenager. But the idea was that that actually had the magic had actually sprung from the gods, um, which is an external, but not initially a natural external. Yeah. So sort of like think about what D&D &D class you want to have in your world. Right. <laughs> and you guys are laughing, but I mean it. Right. Because you have like clerics who like get their their magic from a god. You have warlocks who kind of have a pact with some supernatural entity you have wizards who get it from like books and and rituals and spells well i think a i i was thinking about this and i think this is another reason why we're seeing a lot more hard magic systems in mm. general is because today's fantasy writers are all people who grew up on D D. true and, <laughs> and so they're used to their having their magic be very rule-based because that's that was basically their, a lot of their introduction to it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, like, it can be very interesting to have magic have many different sources within the world. It's, it is always interesting that one of the big choices you have to make on a world-building level is, is magic a thing that anybody can use if they put in the time or effort to, to learn it? Is it a thing that certain people get just intrinsically like it's a genetic thing or it's like blue eyes or something or is it a thing that isn't necessarily a learned thing but you have to like earn it or prove your worth in some sort of way that's intrinsically different from just like learning it like you're learning chemistry 
Right, mm. right. Because you can certainly have, you know, like a magical system that almost mimics like an alchemy kind of thing more that as long as you put the pieces together in the right order, you do magic. Right. Or you can have a magical system where it's like, you know, unless you have this ability, it doesn't matter what you do, you can put the things in the right order and you just have things in the right order and that does nothing. Yeah, if you have ones where you're you're born a wizard or you have ones where you learn the things to it or you have ones where you have to first complete, you know, being a priest of whoever to earn the gods' favor so that the gods will do what you want when you cast a spell or something like that. Like each of those can be very different methodologies in which magic works and how what it's capable of but i think one of the other things that is important to look at is even if there are are fundamental laws of the universe of how the magic works every culture is still going to approach it in a very different way that you're going to have you're going to have one culture that's like, okay, so we have people who are mages, and so we're going to find them, we're going to train them, we're going to make them be, you know, part of the government, but we're also going to, you know, keep watchdogs over them so that they're so they're under our control. And you're going to have the people who are going to be like, okay, we know some people are born with this power, and so we're going to find them, and we're going to smother them in their crib, and then we're going to hope that n- none of them ever show up because they're scary, scary things. And... Each of these can be wonderful or horrible in their own ways, but I think it is important to look at, even if that magic works as a universal, how every part of the world approaches it and how the cultures of the world you're building approach it doesn't have to be a universal. And I think that that's where kind of all of the stuff that we have spent the past like six episodes talking about can kind of come into play and intersect with it because, you know, different different ways of living in different environments are going to influence how people fold magic into that. Um, and, oh God, I'm going to do it again in my book. Um, kind of <laughs> as, um, and it starts out that the, the main character really doesn't realize that this magical practice exists outside of her like small community, um, but it's because it looks different her her practicing it, it's it's all physical it's done like a, a folk way that they use like clay tablets and then she develops a way to use sewing for it but it's physical it's a physical object um and then she kind of like realizes that in other parts of the world that um have a more like nomadic history that their history was as like goat herders and things like that that physical objects were less important to them so they developed magical practice based around like musical casting so it's the same exact thing they're just using it in different ways because their cultures folded it into what else worked within the culture and one of the things one can do to play with that is Again, magic can be a universal, intrinsic thing, but the way people approach it, people can approach it in, say, a very scientific way and break down, okay, this is what we're doing, this is how this works, and all that. And other people might just use it in a very instinctive, natural way. of Like, I, I am doing magic through my sewing needle. I don't know how or why that that's doing, because that just felt natural to me. And they didn't, it's not a trained thing. It's not a learned thing. It's just a instinct. Again, that's another area where you can play around a lot with how how the magic works in your world. Yes, for sure. Uh, so we are getting up to the like forty minute mark or so uh, right now. Do we want to like transition into talking about not so much in my book, but in our <laughs> <It's>, shared <laughs> fantasy world? The, in my book, especially in this topic, is so hard not to do just because. We're talking about craft in a very specific way, about choices that were made. So, of course, the Mm -hmm. ones that we're deeply seeped in are the ones that we're going to be most familiar with in terms of, like, all the elements that that we've put into it that don't even necessarily show up in the books. Like, okay, in my books, magic burns calories, but I never say the phrase magic burns calories in the book because... Because they don't know what calories calories are. (laughs) 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 Sure. Right, and that, like it, in my book, I, I mean, and another reason that we we keep using the in my book examples is because like this is made up bullshit, right? And so we don't have like a scientific vocabulary to talk about it with, so we have to use concrete examples, right? 
And like you said, the concrete examples that we are most familiar with are the ones that we hold very close to our hearts and therefore <laughs> have used. Uh, so uh, in my book, wait, let me try that again. In my book, uh, <laughs> the magic comes from the, the land and the water. Uh, so, like, if you live in a place that has magic for, like, 15, 20 years, you h have a chance of developing that magic. Uh, if you, if your family immigrates from one place to a different place, then you have the chance, uh, like, after a long time, you have as much chance as anyone else who was naturally born there to develop the magic system of that land. Uh, this was something that was really important to me because, um, I realized I was going to do it along bloodlines, right? Uh, like, oh, if you are of this place, if you are like the the race of people that lives in this place, you have this magic system. And then I realized that was racist. Uh, and then and that didn't really take into consideration the question of when does a person become of the place that they live? So yeah, magic systems as also, you know, like commentary. No, I, I absolutely see where you're going with that, though, because um, I think that the magical bloodline or kind of it's like distant relation, like the chosen one kind mm -hmm. of trope, I think that that is worth interrogating. Um, and it in my book, um, <laughs> that it's the main character is kind of led to believe that that is how it works, that people from her background, her ethnic background are the only people who can do this. And they're the only people that she knows who can practice magic. And it kind of gets blown out of the water when she actually gets outside of her little bubble and starts to see that other places in the world actually do have forms of magic. I will, this is like great reveal. I end the trilogy. Um, there's a scene where she's like playing with a small child and she realizes the child can see this magic as well. And she's like, wait, I wonder if actually everyone can. And it was just that, like, some of us get trained to and some of us don't. <laughs> like, mm. maybe it's maybe it's all cultural and it's not actually. So, um, yeah, kind of like playing with those questions of not only um, like the, the ethnicity or race or, or culture, but also the whole like chosen one mentality of like, it, are you actually a chosen one if you can practice magic? Or is it just that somebody snapped you up early enough and showed you how to do it? And yeah. to, to, yeah. to follow up uh, on what both of you were saying, it is also imperative to be aware of the potential racist traps that you might fall into in creating mm -hmm. magic and creating magic systems. I mean, how many, how many stories are out there set in our world in which Africa or Asia is just made magic because, because racism and in, and there right. are otherwise normal world stories where, where we we have done that and that's a trope that's a horrible racist trope that that i think a lot of fantasy sometimes falls into those same traps i don't want, i'm not mm -hmm, going to call mm -hmm. anybody out specifically but it is it is certainly a thing that i've seen happen time and time again where the books are basically you know fantasy europe because so many fantasy books are basically fantasy europe and then they have a yeah. fantasy africa or fantasy asia that's just they've got all the magic and because they're fantasy africa or fantasy asia right well, because orientalism right i was just going to say orientalism it's so crazy how we like fold in yeah. actual historical like not even just historical prejudice but like like formalized yeah trends of historical prejudice i mean yeah even even uh song of ice and fire is not yes immune to that because the the you know the further east you go in the world the more magical it becomes until it's like these all magic cities that nobody else even knows. i mean these that's what's in the books and it's don't be racist well, basically, and, and with your magic short, or anything else. Don't be racist. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Or at least interrogate your assumptions. Why are you doing it this way? Interrogate it. And if it has ties to that history of, oh, that's why I'm doing this. Because it's part of my ingrained yes. culture that I had forgotten to yes. think about. <laughs> yes. Uh, so... Let's turn from thinking about our culture to thinking about our culture. Oh, nice pivot. <laughs> yes, nice our pivot. culture. So, so are we doing... <laughs> Thank you. 
So we started out the episode asking, is magic necessary in a second world fantasy? And then we spent like almost an hour talking about magic and fantasy. Mm -hmm. So are we doing magic in our world? I think we have to do at least a little bit. I mean, we did spend a whole episode on it. I feel like it would be a giant cheat if we're like, nope. Nope. (laughs) Especially (laughs) since one of the things that I came up with for my culture, Alex, just like, so we're just going to say magic did that. So (laughs) (laughs) we're locked in now. We're locked in. That yeah, at least that's true. magic exists, even if even if it's nece- not necessarily a thing that humans control, it might just exist intrinsically on its own. Yes. So first of all, do we want to look at sort of like the big picture kind of global bird's eye view of the planet? What is the source of magic overall? Like we'll get into like how our cultures uh, interpret it individually a little bit later. This episode might be long, um, but like just overall, <laughs> overall, where does it come from? Uh, how magical is the environment? Hmm. So in some ways, it's kind of a hard question since we haven't nailed down like all of the other stuff. So we have to be aware that we may make choices here that are going to steer us in the future. So if we say magic comes from the gods, we have gods now. Like we can't back out of that one. Right. Um, so... Right. <laughs> What, what I would suggest is I will donate my method that I use in my book. <laughs> um, because, right, because, like, like, and here's why. Because, like, if the magic comes from the land and the water, I have the explanation that there are different types of magic in different parts of the world for the same reason that water tastes different, depending on where you go. Like, you go to San Francisco, the water takes, tastes different than it does in New York City. You look like you were about to say something, Marshall Ryan. <laughs> I, I, I've, got, I've got something that sort of plays on okay. that. What if magic is sort of like radiation? Yes. In that, so, well. That's how I do it that, in my books. <laughs> excellent. But in that, then you've got, like, I'm going to get super super uh, chemistry nerdy here but like anthonides and lactonides that are i think i pronounced those correctly i probably did not um, <laughs> those are, are big words. <laughs> those are big words those are in the periodic table those are like the those are like the, the sections that are separate and those tend to be mm-hmm. the heavy metals that are rare and don't separate easily or are highly radioactive mm. like uranium and neptunium plutonium but what if magic is just sort of always seeping out of these sort of heavier rare earth metals and so they're and each one does it in a slightly different way and you can't necessarily tap into it by tapping the metals directly like you can't do the sanderson thing of like eating metal shavings or anything like that but that's what is feeding the energy and feeding energy in different flavors Mm. in different places so everywhere sort of has a sort of low-level background radiation and sometimes that'll take different forms because of what happens to be in the earth or in the in the water wherever they have so individuals then kind of like shook this up in a way and then they are able to participate in magic in some way depending on what their local flavor is exactly and then cultures can be kind of variant depending on what the local flavor of magic is exactly I like it. It's kind of like like when you get the radon tested in your basement. Yes, it's yeah. Like... It is. It is basically it's magic radon. radon. It's exactly magic. like that. <laughs> you can tell that we're all homeowners because yeah. we all immediately went. Yeah, yes, exactly, exactly like, like that. <laughs> so you know, some and some places won't have much magic, and some places will be like Reading, Pennsylvania, where everything has tons of radon. <laughs> yep. Okay. So how? Um, I guess kind of hand in hand. How powerful is this magic at its most powerful and how reliable is it at its most reliable? Like what's our upper end of what can this, how much can this, even before we get into what it's actually doing, like how much can you rev it up and how reliable is it? Like, is it a snap your fingers or is it like a, Hey, let's hope this works. Yeah. Well, I think that we don't want to do too much big magic. Right? Like, we, I don't think that we want, or at least I'm speaking for the two of you, and I should not do that. I think that having big magic is not as interesting as having small magic. Because big magic 
has to be more rare and then you get into that chosen one kind Mm -hmm. of thing where you have like one wizard in a generation has like the big magic i think it's more interesting to have like one in five people one in 20 people can do this small little bit of magic yeah i like the the low background radiation version of magic at least for this world i'd say i don't even mind the idea of everyone is able to do it in some small way like i I would be even kind of cool with that Mm. as long as it's not something that you know like yeah you know nana she's a little bit better at lighting a fire that's her thing but that's really all she can do you know i i wouldn't mind that kind of a thing i i because i definitely want to stay away from that whole chosen one mentality too right i think that that's also something that can vary depending on location right Mm -hmm. and like depending on your local flavor of magic like for example rowena in your archipelago you can have like everyone has that like low small bit of magic and then uh in marshall ryan maresca's place is it forest i can't remember what sort of biome you have it was mixed yeah it's a mix of mixed the northern continent yes yeah um you might southern end of the northern continent (laughs) you might have like a more limited number of people but they have a little bit higher amount of magic right yeah so we can play with that we can play with that variation works well yeah 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 so here's another question um i i'm guessing all three of our cultures want to participate um, but worldwide, do all cultures participate, or are there some who are just devoid of magic, or are there some who maybe because of taboos or whatever, like, peace out? Uh, I think yes on both, uh, partially because diversity of opinion is a thing. Not everyone is going to agree that a thing is good. That's just how humans be. Uh, you get two humans in a room, and immediately you have four different opinions. Uh, (laughs) uh, and also I think that just like if we have the variation in magic levels there are going to be places that are that have a higher instance of magic there's going to be places that have a lower instance of magic Um, I don't know that I want to do any place that has that is entirely devoid of magic Um, but I think that there could be places where it is significantly rare as to be considered almost devoid like maybe one in 200 people has magic but also i know i agree with you on that and also in terms of how people tap into it mm-hmm. you know what their understanding of it of how it works and what it does can vary from culture to culture and so thus Absolutely. you'll get a thing where maybe all the people there are able to tap into it but don't know how or don't understand what they're doing in terms of magic where it's other cultures might have a very deep intrinsic understanding of like oh no this is magic and this is how we do it right and like universities that study this thing exactly like the whole department with with eggheads like us who are talking (laughs) (laughs) right and there will be other places in the world where they'll just say oh yes this comes from the gods yeah you know because like religion is still a thing that people have they they form their religion based on their understanding of magic possibly or or form their understanding of magic based upon religion religion right but they've entwined the two to to a point where where they are they're saying it's from the gods even though they have no direct evidence of that and right yes but it's a directly or is it from the gods because they're the ones who put the read on in their basements exactly (laughs) (laughs) uh wow that's existential uh so (laughs) how about we talk about some specifics do do either of you want to go first because i think i want to go last um oh in terms of specifics um first so i guess here's my first question is this is our magic going to affect physical reality it's a physical yes engagement of some kind okay. yes yes, yes. I, I agreed on that too i just wanted to define before we sure choose versus presume absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. and and again like i think we're talking more small magic and mm-hmm. over big magic like i would want to say it can affect physical reality, but to the degree where if you do something with magic to affect reality, you're probably not going to be able to do something stronger or better than you could do with your hands and tools anyway. Yes. Like, it's just a different set of tools. Like, you can make a fire, but you can't snap your finger and burn the city down. Right. Like it, <laughs> right. It's, yes. It's small scale, not... not. So this is a thing that started drilling in my brain as, as we've been talking, where how you tap into magic is very based on emotion. Mm. So for them, at least, makes it very hard to science out 
because it is so based on feeling and based on like what's going on in your head and that's very hard to science out of like well you have to do this and this and this because it is entirely on on your emotional state and then we could play with the idea of like the different flavors of magic tie better to different emotions and therefore within certain areas if the prevailing emotion you're feeling matches the flavor of magic in your region but so therefore then it is something that the best way to utilize magic is to do things which evoke emotional response as opposed to ah okay interesting because then maybe it can even be sympathetic like if you're and you can use say music or something so you can get if your emotion is you know joy that's causing a certain magical effect and you can then you know also play a happy song and bring more joy to the people around you yeah that's the fundamental idea that i'm sort of working with there that that's really interesting that's cool and then that um has a lot of knock-on cultural effects we always have to talk about this um in terms of like how they value emotionality in the culture because like people who experience strong emotions are going to be more likely to be able to do the magic and so they're going to be more, like, just being emotional is going to be a right. valuable thing. So That's it's the cool. opposite of, like, wasps. Like, yeah. do not bottle up your emotions. <laughs> or with the other culture that is, you know, has the very sort of strict rules. That it is about bottling up and being like, you're going to keep that tamp down. If you if you start feeling weird things, then, then suddenly we have sparks going all over the house. We don't need that. <laughs> That's super interesting. Super like cool. That. Love that, actually. Yeah. Rowena, how about you? Oh, man. So I'm for some reason feeling very, like, aesthetic about this whole thing tonight. I don't know why, but I always think with, like, islands, like, multitudes of islands. And that's one of the things I talked about with the things in terms of biomes is that there are probably, like, large migrations of seabirds. So, like, big groups of birds, big, like, groups of, like, shoals of fish and, like, large groups of seals and large, like, there are forests, a lot of trees. So I kind of like the idea of something with this magic having to do with, like, affecting multitudes in minor ways mm. so mm. i yeah i'm still kind of playing with that in some way but yeah like being able to like nudge a flock of birds to go where you want them to go and that like <laughs> bird like you know um, like the bird sorry sorry kind rowena, of way. rowena uh, i just have to interrupt you uh i literally have in my book uh <laughs> I, I have a magic system called nudging, oh, uh, no. <laughs> which is exactly this. Like it's it's like just affecting something in a small way. So like if a if a ball is balanced on the top of a hill, you can nudge it just to make it like tip down. It's basically giving a a thing an opportunity to do the thing it already wants to do. Uh, okay. So like or or um, messing up the balance of clay on a, a potter's wheel. Or making a nervous horse spook and run away. Uh, except you can also use it to influence people's minds, and that is very bad. <laughs> I think I think I will avoid the influencing people's minds. Yeah, that's in, fair. In my book, I already did that one time, and I don't really want to do it again right away. We're, we're uh, awful this episode. We're just God, like we're terrible, terrible, terrible we, human beings. We this episode. formally apologize. Sorry. But yeah, so, so I like the idea of like a small, like a small change, but it's affected against like a large group of things that kind of yeah. operate. So like a like a sand on the beach, or a bunch of pebbles, or a group of trees kind of moving in unison. I don't know. That's cool. But like the idea that it's easier to get a whole flock of birds to do something than to get one single bird to do what you want. Right. Because the flock all moves as a unit. Exactly. Kind of like a hive mind kind of thing that they're all kind of functioning together. This would be super useful since you live on an archipelago. This would be very useful for fishers who are affecting shoals of fish. Yes, it would. That's cool. That's neat. I like that one too. <laughs> Did you have anything else to add to that? I, I think I'm good. Okay. So I am thinking of taking mine in a slightly different direction because I think that like you guys have sort of effects and I'm thinking of this in terms of like, what's the inverse of an effect? Um, because I want to do something that is related to that, but different. And so I'm thinking that my people, and also I want to keep it like, lower uh 
like again i'm i keep striving for these low impact magic systems um so i think that mine will be almost completely prevalent like an almost 100 percent of the population can do this and i think it's just a sensitivity to knowing when magic is happening um and to being able to feel it so this means that like no one is going to be able to use magic on them uh in a sneaky way without them knowing about it that means that if anyone is out in the desert to doing magic someone will be able to sense them know their location what do you guys think of that i, I like, like that, that a lot do you have any like ideas for implications well, I, knock-on effects well i think this isn't so much an implication as it is like the the reverse of that but the yeah. fact that they're a nomadic people i think that makes a lot of sense right yeah that's because what i was thinking moving from group to group like being able to have that sense to not be taken advantage of or mm -hmm. to be able to kind of scope out each new city as you hit it i think that that makes a lot of sense or just to home in to whatever city you're trying to go to or whoever you know you know somebody's lost out in the desert and you're like where is jim oh he's right over there yeah you know, <laughs> well if, if, if jim 30 is miles doing, that way if jim is but... doing magic <laughs> Uh, then you right. can tell where well, that would is. that would be like a good like I'm lost strategy. Quick, do some magic. Yeah, <laughs> then yeah. they'll find me. Um, Send up a beacon. <laughs> although, like if they if they if that's the only magic that they can do, I'm not sure like what magic they would use to do that. Uh, <laughs> sense like, really hard. Like they yeah. have they have the sense really hard, but they don't have the signal really hard, right? Right. Uh, so it's kind of a balanced thing. Uh, although, like as we continue developing this world, like maybe we will come up with magical objects or like maybe these people have like little bits of of metal that they use for jewelry which can be but i think that might be too overpowered i don't think i want to go that far like having a, a bit of metal that has that gives off a magic pulse so that you can mm -hmm. like give your friend a bracelet and then they go wandering off in the desert and you can still sort of know in what direction they are I don't think I want to go that far. It is interesting, though. It is interesting. Yeah. I kind of like. I kind of like the idea of like, again, with the nomadic people, like the the bonds of relationship then between two people being a very important thing. And yeah, I like. Maybe that. I do want to go that hard, Marshall. Ryan, Marisco, <laughs> what do you think? Well, what I was going to say is one of the other things we haven't talked about at all is we've talked a little bit about where these cultures are. We have mm. not talked at all about where these cultures were. And what magic mm. was, say, 100, 300, 500, 1,000 years ago. So True. you might have these other elements that are holdovers that are not about how they practice it now. Well, but if the magic is in the land, then right. the the magic of the desert. It's not the magic of the people in the desert. It's mm -hmm. the magic of the desert. The desert right? itself. Right. So even if the people came from somewhere else, they would have developed the magic after they arrived. But right. say the cities might have been built on places that sort of have a natural resonance that they already feel. Ah, uh, uh, yes, possibly. And this may be getting into something that will go beyond our time today, but I think that's something to think about as well as cultural exchange between that's these true groups. Too. So even yes. though the magic is coming out of a particular place, the applications might still have a lot of... Um, shareability or influence how one group thinks about their magic in relationship to not only their own space but others as well so yes. that's something i think to play with as we move forward too one one more question then um so just to confirm i think that we're i'm pretty confident that we will all agree on this but if a person if joe leaves my desert and goes to a different place in the world Joe can still do the desert magic in a different place, right? Because he has lived in the desert for most of his life. He has absorbed the sort of background radiation of the desert. He goes to somewhere else. He still does desert magic. Yes? Right, yes. For so, a while, but for a while, it eventually? And then he would begin yes. to take on wherever he is then. So we can, we can work at the time frames at some other point, but at some point would he shed yes, desert magic I, and pick up, say, island magic? I think it would probably take at least a couple years, though. I think it would right. be a slow process. Right. Yeah, you have you have to live in that for a long time and and yeah. become part of that culture essentially yes. on every level, including living there for a long time. Yeah. Do you guys have any like other conclusions or closing thoughts or anything? I, I think my big closing thought is this is an area where, as world builders, really give your yourself permission to play in weird yeah. ways. That like everything else to some degree you've at least got to go with 
some basic rules of physics and biology and chemistry mm. unless you're getting super super weird but with this <laughs> you are allowed to come up with some weird wild wacky stuff and just yeah. run with it and then see if that how that will drive your world and the stories in your world yes i agree and i think that we'll be talking about magic much more in the episodes to come because now we have it now we and have it's it. going to be part of these cultures irrevocably henceforth yep. so we can look forward to that yep Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life, now with bonus magic. Speaking as a very emotionally demonstrative person, I gotta say I really appreciate the magic system that Marshall Ryan Mareska came up with. There's a lot of contexts in which emotionality is really dismissed or mocked, so it's cool to see a situation in which it would be explicitly valued. Makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. Anyway, our next episode goes up on October 2nd. As I said earlier in this episode, we really have to get around to naming some things so we don't keep saying Rowena's archipelago, so we're going to have an episode about linguistics. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review somewhere. If you've got questions or you just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter and Tumblr as at WorldBuildCast, and our email is WorldBuildCast at gmail.com. Here's your cool fact of the day. The most common form of quote-unquote magic in the real world has been techniques of prophecy, from reading the entrails, cracking a bone or a turtle shell with a hot poker, casting the I Ching sticks, reading tarot cards, reading the stars, or asking the oracle at Delphi. People just really want to know what's going on. Thank you.